This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, Session 27. Working Class Audio, navigating the world of freelance recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Boudreaux. Well, hello there. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast, Session 27, brought to you by our friends over at Gearslets.com. I want to say hello to Chuck Smith, our wonderful voice talent, and Cliff Truesdale, wonderful music talent that helped make Working Class Audio sound the way it does. So hello, guys. Hope you're doing well. And I hope all of you are doing well out there. You know, I've talked to you about it time and time again, about getting on a location sound person. Really, the struggle is, is everybody I've talked to is super busy. Nailing somebody down for an interview has really been a challenge. There's several people out there I want to talk to. One of them that I finally was able to nail down was my friend Dan Jasper. Dan stopped by my house and we had a, a, several cups of coffee and talked about location sound. Because I've talked about it time and time again that we really want to you know, start to talk to some other folks outside of the music recording world and get a grip on how their world works and the nuts and bolts of, of their operation. A couple things about that. I brought Dan on because there was a point actually about, I'm going to say about a year and a half ago, Dan and I went out for a cup of coffee. I just said, I'm thinking about getting into location sound to diversify a bit because it fascinates me. I have the experience of recording, and I think that I can get up to speed fairly quickly. And Dan was generous with his time and sat down and kind of walked me through a few of the things. This kind of um, this occurred before the podcast, so I thought I got to have Dan over to the house to talk about it. That said, Dan came on to the, onto the show, and we uh, had a fantastic conversation, which is coming up. What else to say? Um, Going back to a few episodes ago, several episodes ago, I started to get into the habit of giving shout outs and thank yous to, uh, you know, different countries or different states. If, if I was talking about the United States or different countries and trying to, you know, name off uh, cities in those in those countries that I could see in the reports of who's listening to our friends out in Russia. I know that our our governments are at odds with each other and and there's a lot of tension going on. But I do want to say to you that in spite of tensions between our governments, you have a friend in working class audio and I appreciate you listening. So greetings to you, peace to you. Thanks for listening. Really appreciate it. You guys are, are clearly tuning in by large numbers and it, it's appreciated. So, and hello to the rest of you out there in the world. I tell you, a lot of you from all over the world are, are tuning in, and I and I certainly appreciate it. Some of you, like I say, our um, our governments are not on a super duper friendly basis, but that doesn't mean that we can't be friendly and talk about recording together, which is important to us. To that matter, uh, I want to say hello to those in China who are listening. I want to say hello to those in Iran that are listening. Really appreciate you tuning in. It's a pleasure to uh, to talk about this stuff with you guys. So there you go. Well, on that note, I think we should just jump into our talk with Mr. Dan Jasper and let's get into location sound. Let's figure out that, figure, figure out how that works. All right, Dan Jasper here on Working Class Audio. You got started doing location sound. We knew each other. You were doing band stuff. You were singing, playing in rock bands, and then you ended up going to film school. Yes. Or, and what did you get your degree in? Cinema. At where? <clears throat> at, at San Francisco State. How long did that take? It took about seven years. 
I started at City College and I started in the broadcast department there, which is where I started taking uh, audio courses, audio engineering courses with Terry Winston from uh, the Women's, Women's Audio, audio Mission. Society. Yeah, she was absolutely amazing. I'll, I will be very grateful to her for probably the rest of my life for that. I had to redo all my general ed because I wasn't a very good student. Um, so I redid all that. I transferred into San Francisco State. And then once I finished the general education requirement, I spent a lot of time starting to find work. And then I got a lot of credit for working on projects. Mm -hmm. So I did a lot of work study Project. So the last couple of years, the last two, three years at SF State, I spent in their studios doing sound editing and sound design and, and, uh, and working on other students' projects and just basically fulfilling my, my unit requirements that way. During a lot of that time, I was, already, I was already starting to work and pick up little bits of gear here and there. And once I graduated, I'd already, been, I'd already gotten about two, three solid years of, of location experience not solid years, but definitely some, you know, some good, some good working experience. How are you getting that work? Because you talk to people and you say, well, how do I find work? Or, you know, you want to get into this particular thing or get into just filmmaking in general. And then you ask that question, you know, okay, how do I find work? Or where do I get, you know, where do I get jobs? And everybody's going to go, I don't know. <laughs> it's because almost everything you get is by word of mouth. Or as you start to, uh, as you start to focus down, you basically tell people, this is what I do. And I already knew I'd done a little research beforehand. You know, I had some audio experience from back in the day from playing in the band and, you know, got to work with you. I knew that was a, a skill set that I could at least start focusing on and developing in greater detail through school, as well as I enjoyed playing with the camera a little bit here and there, but my vision isn't really good enough for for doing camera work. So I, and I love, I love cinema. So I thought, well, this would be a great fit. I know enough about audio to get in and start, uh, you know, putting the work into learning on a much deeper level. So I'd, I'd done a fair amount of the research and from taking producing courses, you get into budgets, you know, you get a, you get a good idea as to what it is the sound people make. And knowing that also knowing that you have to get a certain amount of gear to use because there isn't a studio that's there for you. Like there isn't gear that's supplied for you. You have to get all that gear yourself. And then as a part of your business, you, you rent that gear to companies. And, and then of course they, they pay you for your time. This is what makes it so difficult to get into is that you have to own basically your own studio and then go out and get people to hire you. Partly it's, from experience and the experience you gain from the years it takes you just to acquire all that gear. And then the other part is basically your, your the functionality of your business to be able to supply that service to a production that's going to be in need. And when you say studio, essentially you mean portable studio, you yeah. know, figuratively. Figuratively, yeah. I, mean, I say that studio very fi figuratively. Very loosely. So the gear, location sound gear compared to studio gear is, I mean, essentially it does the same stuff. It's just packaged differently. It's more expensive, has to be robust for the field. And you're dealing in some, in some like things that you would not typically see in a recording studio. You're dealing with wireless mics, you're dealing with shotgun mics, you're dealing with portable 
mixers that are in some cases with the sound devices stuff, they're combinations of mixer, recorder, and uh, you're dealing in portable power. What, what else is there to think about in that equation? Um, the things that you have in a studio are pretty highly marginalized down to get into a much smaller compact working area for being out in the field. You know, you don't get to have uh, your big compressors on a rack behind you. A lot of your uh, compression has to come internally if you're going to use it. You know, your wireless, a lot of wireless has um, inline compression that's inside. So you got to be really careful to not let anything get into uh, in compression like in, like in most of your wireless. And, you know, the sound devices, mixer recorders, they're not now selling, they're not selling as recorders, they're selling as mixers with recording capability and they're they're smart about that there's you know there's definitely limiting that's happening in there and as as much as you need to have it used you definitely always you're always dancing around not letting that kind of stuff happen so you're trying to get things you know like like in any other tracking situation you want to get everything as as raw and as untouched as as possible Although in some cases, in, in in many cases in the studio, some you know you're 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 sometimes you're choosing microphones for uh, there's the dog, mm-hmm. you're choosing microphones for their flavor for their for their lack of transparency because you want that vibe or you want to compress in a in a particular way. So, but that's not always the case. Sometimes you you do want to capture in a transparent way, but for field for location sound, I mean you're pretty much you're not going for can you make it sound like zeppelin four man (laughs) you're not going for that you're going for transparency and uh, plenty of headroom as well right yeah you you want to have space you want to get close enough to to let the proximity get in there and you you definitely choose microphones more for their functionality as opposed to their to their shapes Although, you know, some microphones work way better in situations than others. You know, like say, you know, some people like the the sound of the Shaps over the sound of the Sennheiser. And, you know, sometimes all around microphones work better in, in corporate. That's that's really just a matter of the taste of the mixer. And then you can even change those up depending on what kind of project it is you're doing, if you, if you choose. But um, I've never seen a ribbon mic in a, <laughs> in a film recording situation. Um, and dynamic mics are pretty used pretty sparingly. And it's probably more for communication than anything. But it's always going to be small diaphragm condensers. There's going to be a lot of padding going up around a room. And you're always going to have the wind production because you're just, you're working against an environment. And even on like, like a minimal setup that the average location sound person should have. I'm, I'm always told it's like, well, you need to at least have some portable mixer, portable recorder, a couple wireless lav mics, and a shotgun mic. That's like at minimum what you mm-hmm. should have. Even that, I mean, those things you know, of decent quality can be really expensive. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Is it just the portability? Is it, the, is it all the things that, that this equipment brings like Sound devices stuff is really expensive, but yeah, quite elaborate in what it can do and very robust, right? Well, the preamps, especially for sound devices stuff, the preamps are a lot nicer. They're a much more robust. You get a much better signal noise ratio than you do off a lot of other even mid-range mixers that are out there. And they've sound devices. Those guys have managed to pack a lot of stuff into a very small package. 
to which everything they're now doing is is pretty much completely digital after your uh after your preamps like even the faders are all you know everything's digital from front all the way to outside of the as soon as you mix out then that's goes back to analog so like say a sound device is say the six uh the 664, which is what I'm, which is my main recorder and mixer. So I have 12 inputs, 12 track recorder. It's got two auxiliary outputs, and then it also has um, a left, right out, a second small adapter left, right out, and then it has two 10 pin Hiroshi outs, which is for what we call a beta snake, which sends uh, two channels to a camera and then has uh, a listen back for your, for your headphones so you can monitor. So you could, you could hardwire four cameras off of this mixer alone without splitting any lines and 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 listen back to at least three of them at any given moment. So you can hear what those cameras are recording. You can always listen to what the cameras are doing because it's always going to be – you can just keep switching back and forth to make sure, you know, for QC. If the client wants anything from the camera, if they want all their audio to come from the camera – then you can always be listening to all three and switching back. And then you know that, you know, you have, you can at least have some confidence that maybe the system noise isn't going to be too loud off of camera works. And, but are you, you're, you're actually, you're sending signal to those cameras. Yes. Okay. You're not actually taking signal in from those cameras of what they're recording. You're, I mean, you're monitoring what they're recording, but you're monitoring what you're sending yeah. them. You know, everything, you can always generate tone. So you can send out everything to all the cameras what the signal is sending back through the line, you can actually, the, the VU uh, on your main actually represents what the camera is sending back. Hmm. So you know, um, you know, once you have everything set up and all of your uh, signal chain is, you know, even the way you like. Um, That's just a coffee machine. <laughs> you're, still, you're still watching meters for all of this stuff. You're always, there's a, you're always listening to your noise floor. You're always listening to even the noise floor on the cameras. The cameras all sound different you know you're you you go from canon to sony to red to uh to ari um those are all the different cameras those are those are the those are probably the four that i come across the most and i was gonna say so like the 664 mixer like what's what's the price of something like that the 664 which comes in itself the mixer the recorder it's a uh it's a 12 16 track recorder you can record your mixes your xy auxiliaries as well as the the twelve channels of audio. Twelve is that twelve mics that you can. That's play? that's six six mic or line, and then six more line input line only. Um, and then I think two of those are digital inputs, so you can get it has digital inputs and outputs, so you can send a two channel. You can send two channels of digital out for four tracks. So the uh, like a red camera will take AES input in. So you can send two channels out and put four tracks of audio on a red. Wow. So, so the functionality of the mixer allows you to do a lot of different things. So the mixer also gives you, you can give yourself um, discrete auxiliaries out. You can send, uh, so say, you have, say you're on this mixer and you're on a little cart or you're bagging it and you have two different boom ops and you're sending out an IFB, an IFB uh, interruptible fullback which is basically a talkback system between you. If you have two boom operators, you can send out two uh, private IFBs, have discrete conversations with either one of them. They're switchable so that you can only talk to the cameras or you can only talk to your boom operators if you want. 
or your sound assist. So you can basically go from your own system, talk to all these different departments because because um, we are, you know, providing a service. And I serve a lot of number of different departments within my own. But but the, you, that's how you categorize them in the field. It's like different different departments. Yes, because okay. uh, <clears throat> script supervisory is, you know, usually a one person department. But then you're also serving editorial because you're providing time code. You provide uh, the slate for syncing audio and picture later on. Uh, you're providing notes. You're providing uh, a signal to production via the Comtext, what we call uh, the Comtext. Uh, Comtech is a company that creates uh, basically a listening system so you can have a single transmitter and then a whole bunch of receivers. So after the mixer, a lot of what you're doing is managing wireless. You're just managing lots and lots of wireless signals. Huh. It changes depending on what job you're doing. So if you're if you're at a convention, you know they ha- they could have somebody who just manages wireless. So like if you were to if you were at a sporting event or if you were at a convention type setting, you know if you're at um, if you're doing corporate, you know you may only have to manage one thing, but still have fifteen contacts for all for all of the uh, you know the corporate honchos that want to come in and have a listen because those contacts those headsets not only act as a way for people to QC and listen to what you're doing, it also is a status symbol. So those headsets, the guys with the headsets on set, those are the important people. You need to be, you need to be aware of them. Uh-huh. The director's got his headset. The producer's got a headset. And they're just listening to what you're capturing. Yes. And they're listening to, they're lis- yeah, they're listening. They're monitoring basically whatever it is that I'm capturing or what I'm sending through to camera or a mix that I'm giving to the editor for later on. And usually that's pretty much what I, what I transmit. It's just, uh, you'll, you'll hear me call a scene and then all you hear is what's, what's on camera. The six, six, four in this case can, this can be a podcast about the six, six, four. Yeah. (laughs) It's, uh, I'm sure sound devices would love that. Um, but it's so full feature that you can support all of these external devices and take in all of these multiple signals to record. Mm -hmm. What does this mixer cost, or what does this oh, device cost? So okay, so the six six four in general, I think is fifty five. I think it's five thousand five hundred dollars. It's incredibly reasonable for what it does. I mean, for what it does, that's a chunk of dough. But for what it does, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. They have different ones. There's uh, there's also the Zaxcom that's out. These, these are competitors. These are competitors. Zaxcom. Uh, they also have wireless. Zaxcom has their own wireless. But Zaxcom and, you know, not to be, not to compare in broad strokes, but Zaxcom and sound devices are like, you know, Apple and PC. It's almost like you know, each has their own, uh, you know, fan base and people who like to use them. Mm-hmm. And they like them for different things. And, uh, you know, like, like if I wanted to, if I was going to do reality TV, I know that Zaxcom radios uh, when i say radios i mean like lavalier wireless lavalier setups that's why we just call them radios it's easier but i know that zaxcom radio transmitters have recorders inside them so if i was going to do reality tv i wouldn't think twice about getting zaxcom wireless because if somebody goes out of range or if they start to drop out or any of the basic things that can that can happen i already know that it's getting recorded so it's going to there's going to be a backup of whatever that that talent is doing all the time. Like there's a little SD card in there. Yeah. 
there's a there's a mini SD card and you control it right through your have it has a little they have what's called the the Zaxnet and they have a little IFB thing so you can get a receiver and a transmitter and if you want to record something so you press record and it goes in and the little Zaxnet thing goes do 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 and then all the transmitters start recording. Oh, it's I see. It's like a radio signal that yeah. broadcasts out and tells yeah. them all to record. So if you're on like what what's that show the the Great Race something like that where they get you know they could have 12 different people that are going to be with their own camera crews out and running around you put them all on on your zaxcom transmitters and at the end of the day it's an editing nightmare but they got it all and then no matter whatever it is they capture they got it and it all has to get transcribed and logged later and then brought in so that the producers can create whatever story they need to that's pretty remarkable what what are those run let's find out and let's go over to True Audio, trueaudio.com. This Zaxcom transmitter, $1,550. You, you have the wireless mic, which is the mic on the little cable that plugs into the transmitter. Mm-hmm. Independent of that, then you have the receiver. Yes. And that has its own cable coming out, going into your, say, your sound devices recorder mixer. Yes. So what you just said only pertains to the transmitter. That's right. So the transmitter inputs are TA5, TA5, uh, TA5 male. So then your lavaliers are going to have TA5 females. And uh, the outputs that come from your receivers, now we use a lot of TA3 uh, connectors in, in location because it's just just for real estate purposes. It's it's amazing. Not to be stupid here, but does TA stand for tiny ass? Yeah. <laughs> tiny, tiny ass. Tiny ass three pin connector. <laughs> you know, it's wired the same as XLR. So it's, it's just, they're smaller yeah, connectors. Yeah. It's not rocket science. It's just small. Okay. And not to give free advertising to true, but they, they, if you need to buy stuff, that's a good place to go. They sell a lot of used gear. If you buy something used, you want to make sure that it's going to work properly, and that's a great way to get it because they go through all their stuff and they make sure it's all working. That's that's a good idea, yeah. That's a lot of how I accumulated a lot of the equipment that I did is I bought used stuff. I bought it off eBay and I bought it from, you know, other sound mixers in the area because I, you know, when I started a Sennheiser 416, which is the industry standard of shotgun of mics, shotgun mics because you can just wail on that thing all day long, and at the end of the day, it's just it's just going to sound the same as it did yesterday and the day before, which is you know that's important. But you know, at the time when I first started, those things brand new were like thirteen ninety nine, and then they knocked the price down to a thousand. Um, so you can get a used one for six seven hundred dollars. So you know, in when I was first starting out, I was in school, and seven hundred bucks was a lot of money to me. So. You know, I managed to finally grab one, and then eventually it was a little FP33, and then... Which is the Shure mixer. Which is the Shure mixer, um, which was a great little mixer for me um, until finally I got a Sound Devices 442 off a Canadian fellow. I mean, it was pretty beat up, but man, as soon as you get a Sound Devices, that's some next level stuff. 
there's just something about the, what they can do in those harsh environments. As soon as you plug something into a sound device, it's just a whole different, it's a whole different world. You said it was pretty beat up. I mean, physically it looked yeah, pretty it was rough. Physically, <laughs> it was physically pretty beat up. But it worked. You know, a lot of the stuff was rubbed off and I had to go through and clean out the inputs and, uh, and I think I took it in. When I first got it, I sent it in to uh, Sound Devices, which is in uh, Wisconsin. I sent it in. I was like, can you just, you know, I just need it. I just want to make sure it's working properly. And I think they, they switched out one of the tone pots. Uh, well, no, they switched out one of the fader pots and cleaned out the inputs. And but like a lot of the a lot of the labeling and the and the uh, and the little labels and stuff have all been worn off. Oh, did they fix the labeling? They didn't fix the labeling. They just they just said, okay, this is working up. This is this this will get you going. And you know when they did they charge you? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, gear maintenance. And if you want, we can get into that in a yeah. little bit, but definitely there's, there's definitely a cost of doing business. The gear is expensive at the end of the day. And is there stigma attached to equipment in terms of if I have a road shotgun versus a Sennheiser, do people frown on that? You know, it really depends on where, on where you're going. It depends on what you're end game is you know to be honest if it sounds good and you like it then then use it if you have a road or a sennheiser and you want to go out and do uh corporate type work or you want to just get a basic job done then those are fantastic microphones that are built just for that purpose if you're working in independent film or if you want to nudge up you want to try and get a, a microphone that's a little more next level that get a, that have a better signal noise ratio that that can handle a little bit more pressure can also accentuate those extremely quiet moments which is you know you want to you want to keep in treasure at the end of the day does it matter no so like a, a sennheiser uh, 416 will record uh, lower frequencies in an omnidirectional fashion, like in a way that that other shotguns don't. And I find it a little bit dirty. But if you're out in the field and you're running a gun and you're doing documentary, it doesn't matter. It actually sounds better for a documentary. I think I would I would probably prefer a 416 in a documentary than over like a really nice uh, chef's like a CMIT. I'd probably want that dirtier microphone because it gives it a grittier feel and it's going to actually, when you're watching it later on, it's going to, it's probably going to look and feel and hmm. sound great. Let's talk about the, the balancing of the economics of, of the equipment, getting what you need for the job. It's always that balance of if, if you're not made of money and you're, you need a piece of equipment for a, a gig and, you know, it's that whole balance of getting getting equipment for the gig and getting paid for the gig and paying off that, but still making money to pay rent or mm -hmm. car payments, et cetera, insurance. How do you handle that? What's, what's your philosophy there? You know, the Bay area has been, you know, it's such a tough place to survive in because if you don't have a good bit of income coming in, it's, it's very difficult to live here and starting a new career for that matter, or getting, getting going with something that's going to be as expensive as this. It's like, it's either you're generating income or you're not. The first year I was just begging to get on a project just to get some kind of, I was just begging for experience. You know, it goes back to that question. Well, how do I find work? The first time you get a paying job, you know, it's 50 bucks, a hundred bucks. It's like nothing. So while I was in school, 
I was, you know, because I'd played in bands before, I knew something about live mixing in smaller clubs and smaller venues. I was making a few bucks here and there doing live sound at like the Parkside in, in, out in the city or, you know, in a couple of the other smaller places. And then I would bartend on other nights where I would just find other jobs like catering, just doing whatever, just, just, just to just get money coming in. Something, you know, throwaway jobs that I didn't really need to care about or think about in my off hours. So, you know, until you get to that point, you can't really be concerned about the money you're making from doing this job until people actually, until it's necessary for people to pay you to continue doing it. Also, uh, it becomes to a certain point, it starts becoming necessary to receive a certain amount of money before you can provide that service. Because once you start doing better work, and I'd like to think I'm doing better work, you have to start charging for it because otherwise you're basically going to start screwing over the other guy who's trying to do the same thing you are. You know, as you're first starting out, you have some leeway to not charge as much. And you can tell people, you know, it's like, well, I'm not as experienced as a few of the other sound professionals that are working out. So I don't, I don't feel comfortable charging as much as they do. But after you get a year, two years, three years, and if you keep doing it and you're actually starting to make money about it, you have to raise your prices and you have to get competitive or you'll otherwise you'll get, uh, you probably continue working, but you'll, you'll definitely not be accepted by the rest of the community that's working in the area around you. Because they, if you, if you keep charging low prices, you're lowering the value of their real estate. You're, you know, you're like an ugly car parked on the lawn. Right. <laughs> Next to a neighbor with a really nice place. That's interesting that the the mentality of devaluing of safeguarding the possibility of devaluing the work mm-hmm. uh seems to be important. I think the audio world could or you know the music world I should say could really benefit from that mentality because I think that's that runs rampant. I'm sure I'm sure you understand completely. Uh, yeah. It's it's kind of a feature of location sound that I wish Music World could adopt. How many years have you been doing it since? I'm on my eighth year. This is my eighth year now. What do you think? What do, you, do you like doing it? I do. I do like doing it. I mean, I would have stopped after a couple of years, I think, if I really didn't like it. If I was younger and I'd started being a sound engineer, I probably would have been a lot more interested in doing music. But I didn't start at a very at a very young age. How old were you when you when you graduated? Thirty eight. So I've been at it. You know, I'm I'm obviously a lot older. I'm still a big kid. I appreciate learning stuff though. But this is something I found that I could do and get into. And not every job is. It's it's a service. It's more. It's much more business oriented than it is so focused on you know creating art, and you know cinema, which is what I love. This is you know, and that's the work I prefer to do, where you, where it is a collaborative art, and there's a lot of different people that are involved, as opposed to being uh, a much more smaller sort of nuclear bunch hovered in, in one little spot, kind of uh, you know around the recording console. You know, I wish I could have that, but um, but I, I work on a much, I guess it's a, it's a bigger picture kind of thing. It's like I know what my part does with everybody else's. And, that, and it all depends too, I guess, on whether you're doing, you know, film work. And then, and then of course, that's, you know, major work or, my, yeah. you know, or independent work. So if you're out doing small, like if I was doing, you know, if I, I've never 
done sound at a wedding. I don't think I ever will. Um, I don't think there's that many opportunities for that around unless it's a really, you know, unless you're doing Christina Aguilera's wedding or something like that. It's the only reason you would ever have a boom off on a wedding job. But for uh, small crew type stuff, you're making little things, you know, there's, you know, you're just providing a service. You're just running your business and you're not going to be there unless people can pay you. Uh, there's no, uh, there's no passion project for selling real estate. If, uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> sure that way. I don't know how much I'm saying that everybody out there doesn't already know, but it's, you know, it's like small independent stuff. You're not going to make as much money, you know, large corporate stuff with car commercials. You're probably going to, you're probably going to make pretty good money. What? So let's talk about that. What, what's an average, not necessarily what you charge, but what's an average price that somebody charges and and I'm to understand that not only do you charge for your own time but you also bill for you you rent your equipment it's like mm-hmm. Dan comes with Dan's equipment Dan's equipment's one price and Dan is one price yeah once you have a few years of experience under your belt what does it look like for people <clears throat> like it's a range at 2 3 years with a basic sound package and I I I'll stress basic so, like, so for the basic uh, basic sound package is uh, mixer, recorder, boom, one radio, one lavalier, wireless lavalier setup. Okay. And uh, for that, I charge two fifty a day. Two fifty for what? Two hundred and fifty dollars a day for a mixer. Oh, you're saying the rental for the gear? Rental, right? Mixer, recorder, boom, one wireless. Um, and you know, cables, you know, you can itemize it out any way you like, but the, the simpler, the itemization and the simpler the package and the package deal becomes the much easier it is, uh, to sell it. Uh, and then the, then the person, and then the rate usually, you know, uh, in Los Angeles, they say it's a 12 hour day. Some people like to say 14 hour days. And I think that's insanity. Uh, but around here in the Bay Area, we like uh, we like the ten hour day. <laughs> we like the ten. We're we're good with the ten hour day. And uh, I usually charge five fifty for ten hours, five hundred and fifty dollars. You you know with less. I guess I should I should scratch that and I should say as a person with right. Go two, back to yeah. Let's we'll, with that experience with we'll the experience. Edit that out. Two to three years. If you have the basic sound kit, you should charge 250 bucks for that. You should at least get that. If you go to True Audio or you go to Location Sound, getting that particular package, they'll probably rent it for like 350. You know, they 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 the way they itemize stuff out, you know, they, it changes depending on the gear they have. But 250 is a competitive rate that will keep somebody renting from you as opposed to going to them. And I said two or three years. And then if you can try and get 400 bucks a day at two to three years of experience, that is, it's a good goal. People are probably going to whittle you down to 300 or even 200. But at that point with a rental and your day rate, you're still looking at about 450 a day, two to three years of experience. That's a really great rate. It'll help you get some bills paid. It'll help you get to that next piece of gear. It'll help you, you know, if you, if you want to pay raise, you know, get more gear. That's, that's generally, I think that's the general rule of thumb. But for each job, you're assembling the appropriate package. Yeah, you're assembling an appropriate, there's a different situation. Um, you know, every producer, 
uh, is going to have a different way of approaching it, a different way they like to do. It's like, oh, well, we're doing a half day, you know, half day, quote, unquote. That's a, well, you know, the in, in producer math, it's like, well, we only recorded for five minutes, so therefore I owe you $3.75. <laughs> um, you know, there's there's different ways of, of making all that stuff. Um, there's different ways of making, you know, you have to, find out what's going to be comfortable with you. You don't want to get taken advantage of. And it's, it's not, it's not difficult to be, um, to put your feet down with producers. And if they say they're always going to come up with a deal that makes it, makes it better for them. It's always going to be better for them. And anytime you're doing a deal, not to get too far into negotiation or business tactics, it's just like every job you're, you're going to be a much more efficient negotiator if you're just ready to say no at any given time. And, you know, your, your attitude has to go to, well, I can always say no to this, or I can just say no to you. Or if it's not a job you want, just give it to somebody else. You know, you if you say no, or if you're not going to make yourself available for it, but you put the effort into finding somebody who will do it, then you've already done work for them. As a matter of fact, you just worked for free. So, <laughs> so how far how far off topic have I gotten? No, this, this is great because people want to know this stuff. Um, see, so it's like somebody who you've never met before has called you on the phone. There is an offer for employment. You could work for one to five days on any given project. Um, and it's usually one or two days or one day. And they have this thing and they want, you know, their job is to pay you as little as possible so they can make as much as possible, you know, some, you know, a lot of production companies, you know, they put in a bid for an offer and once they get it okayed, you know, they, okay, they have this chunk of money. Now they want to save as much of it as possible. So when they're negotiating you down on your price, they're giving themselves more money to hire you. That's, that's kind of like, there's going to be a little bit of a pull and tug there. You want to make sure that you're getting what's fair for you and what's going to be fair for the next guy. And if you're not comfortable with it, just send it to somebody else who's also going to be a tough negotiator. You know, you also want to send them to somebody who is going to keep that price up and who is going to fight. So when they go to five, six, seven different people down the line and they all say no, every single one of you people says, you know, every single one of us us, we collectively as sound engineers goes, no, I'm not comfortable doing it at that price. This, this is much more valuable than that to you and to us. Um, then eventually they're going to find somebody who doesn't know what they're doing with less experience. They will uh, eventually pay more for it later on down the road. I like that. It's, I guess it's important if you want to keep the value up that you don't devalue by bending too easy mm -hmm. and just standing your ground with your rate doesn't always work with bands that's okay but <laughs> film and, and commercials and documentaries and well just all of the different job roles one could do in location sound um it's a different it's a, just a different story it's a different ecosystem it's a different culture from our conversations that i've we, we've had I, i've come to understand that you have your equipment rate you have your your day rate for yourself do you ever have trouble getting paid yeah for uh for a lot of corporate work you're working through a company and the way they pay out and what we are to them is we are vendors so basically um we're just um like any other 
third party that's coming in and, and providing a service to them. So usually the payout is net 30. In a lot of places, it can go to net 60 or even net 90. And net 90s are really frustrating when a lot of them do it all at the same time. You know, you do a bunch of work in one month and all of a sudden you don't see a paycheck for three months. That can get, that can get really, that can get really frustrating. Especially if you're counting on that money to do, to pay rent, to do some equipment maintenance, to upgrade. Yeah. Uh, You know, you're, let's say you, uh, you know, you, you nailed your, your Sennheiser 416 against the floor and it was just that one time where it finally gave in and stopped working for you. You know, all of a sudden you got to buy a new mic. So you know, and, you know, maybe you don't want to buy a used one this time, or, you know, maybe you can rent from another sound mixer and it's good. You got to have, you got to have some money socked away for these sorts of things. You know, so if some piece of equipment you have goes down, you got to be able to get it fixed quick, or you got to be able to pay for a rental or, um, you know, you got to own insurance. And this, and this comes back to, uh, you know, the cost of the cost of doing business. I have worked on films where I had, you know, just just barely enough, you know, an independent film, really small micro budget, you know, at, at the, it's not a big budget. It wasn't a big budget for sound. So, you know, it's a small budget. It's a small budget for sound, but it was a big budget for me at the time. And I barely had enough equipment to to get it done. Uh, something went down. We, we were doing this uh we were doing some military reenactments and I think I had a, at the time I had a, I still have it. Uh, I had a VDB 18 foot boom pole that got run over by a Hummer, by a military Hummer. And, uh, which is now a 16 foot boom pole. (laughs) I really love that boom pole too, man. Uh, it's, um, and then, you know, uh, you know, an actor forgets they have a transmitter clipped to their pants and they go to the, they go to the bathroom and all of a sudden, you know, now your transmitter is in a toilet. And, uh, you know, it's, there's, this stuff happens almost, it's, it's inevitable. This stuff is going to happen. The accidents just happen. And you got to be able to buy a new transmitter. You know, the transmission on your car decides to go. Anything, any one of these things can go wrong. But you got to be able, if you're going to do business in this capacity, you know, you got to be able to think quick. You got to have, uh, you got to have a jump bag, so to speak. You got to have something that's going to be in case of emergency break glass. You got to have something there, the the reserve parachute, so to speak. I keep a Zoom H4 in the bottom of my bag. It's in my car. It's in the glove compartment actually right now. It's just there. Because you never know that one moment that the recorder goes down, you know, lightning will strike. My, uh, my sound card, my recorder goes down. I have to have at least something that's going to work. I've never had to use it. <laughs> Thank God. I've never had to break into it. I'm not, not to say that the Zoom isn't a handy device. I think it's very handy. I know, I know lots of people who use them, but, but it's like just having some of the most basic things that you can have. Just keep a little bit of extra money in the account. You know, don't buy that. Don't buy that extra radio transmitter if it's going to clean out your account. You got to have some some cash hanging around. You got to keep some stuff, you know, for all you all you young people that are out there trying to get into this, you know, you know, uh, you got to play it a little bit safe. You never know what's going to happen. Make friends with other sound mixers because they got gear. You know, when I first started, I worked with this other fellow named Keenan Jensen. We did a lot of films together. We pooled our gear. 
you know, he had some stuff. He had a couple of different, I had a couple of things and we just put them together. And then we started going out and getting jobs that way. That was incredibly useful to the both of us. You've talked to me in the past about uh, the importance of, you know, it's fine if you rent gear from a from a, another business, but it really can help the recording community if you rent your gear from another sound yeah. engineer. We don't have a true audio in San Francisco. We don't have location sound corp in San Francisco. Those are all LA companies. So anything we need location gear wise, you know, it's like it's not like you can go to Guitar Center and get something like that because they just don't have that stuff. So if I need a new piece of gear and I have to go to True. It's going to be 24 hours at least before it can arrive. But if I can call, you know, if I'm in Oakland and I call sound person in San Francisco and say, hey, are you busy? What are you doing right now? Or I call other sound person in Berkeley or other sound person in Petaluma. And I say, hey, have you got one of these? And they go, yeah, okay, great. I'm sending a PA over to your place right now. And they go, okay, great. You know, somebody can go over there, grab it, bring it back. And then they get a rental. Or if I have a couple of, if I need a couple of extra, there's always some guy with an extra little beer, bit of gear who doesn't mind, first of all, helping you out. Because, you know, now we go back to, are you keeping the prices up? Are you charging the appropriate amount of money to make sure everybody stays working, stays working at competitive rates? But those people who trust you to do that are now your, you know, they're your, they're work friends. They're they're your peer group and they'll rent you radios. They'll go out, you know, they'll take a little bit of time and they'll rent you some gear because they're going to trust you to trust you to take care of it. And you, them, you know, it's part of your, your work process as well. If you, if you choose it to be like, is it better to rent stuff? If you're starting out, can it be a strategy that you just rent everything? It can, it can in the sense that, um, if if you're if you know some people and they got you onto like a work path that just gets you going right off the bat and that's you know that's fine if it does like if they don't mind your learning curve and you can jump in and just start grabbing it then sure rent whatever get your day right you won't make as much but why not but if you're if you're starting out not knowing all that many or absolutely nobody in the business and nobody's willing to even give you a job without some prior experience, then you're just going to have a little bit of a, a tougher road. What's important for those trying to promote themselves, you know, and like music, I mean, you know, it's pretty typical. You have a website and your discography and, you know, you're on social media kind of pushing, hey, I just did this record. What do you do in location sound? Uh, that's a wow, that's a really good question. You know, um, when I was in in college, I lucked out and you know this this goes to back to working working for free. Yeah. Uh, nobody <laughs> yeah. nobody nobody likes working for free. But if you don't have any experience, then that's what you're working for. You're working experience is your payment. Right off the bat. And you know what? If you do copious amounts of free work, if you're if somebody can support you while you're in school or if you're getting helped out or if you have an opportunity to basically make your living situation ease by student loans and and maybe a little support from your family or uh, or a loved one, then, you know, get out there and do as much free work as you can. Get your, you know, focus down. You get out there and you say, I do sound. This is what I do. I do sound for, you know, you're in that. You're working on films. You're working on corporate. You're working on running gun. You're doing whatever. You say, I do sound. I do sound. You work as a PA. 
you know, you go out in a, and PAs are incredibly handy in the, in the film industry. It's what we also refer to them as the PA nation or the backbone. PA being a production assistant. Production assistant. Uh, you can get work as a PA if you, and you can start going to different sets and start meeting other sound guys. So you don't have to be a sound person right off the bat. You can start as a PA. You talk to the sound guy and say, hey, you know, my name is, I'm just getting started in the industry, but I'm really interested in doing sound. That's where, that's where I want to be. Like, you know, two, three years from now, I want to be doing, I want to be well on my way to doing what you do. Mm-hmm. And if you ever need somebody to boom off or if you need an assistant and then, you know, ask them if it's okay to give them your, your info and whatnot. It's, it's just about meeting people. It's about getting out there and being busy. It's about, you know, you start meeting producers, you, you collaborate with other people who are at the same level as you are. But if you're always saying, this is what I do, this is what I do, this is what I do, and somebody needs what you do for cheap or practically next to nothing or, in fact, nothing, then your name's going to come up. How important is school? Education is incredibly important. I think just to people as individuals, you know, I think it's in. Uh, oh, I would agree. I mean, as an <laughs> overarching theme, education is very important. That was incredibly blanketed. <laughs> <laughs> but what if, what if you've already been through school or what if you don't, what if you didn't go to school and you just want to jump right into location sound? I think you can do that. I, I don't think there's a problem. You, I, you know, to be honest, um, you know, you, a lot of people, especially in the film industry, uh, will tell you that, you know, you don't really need an education to go out and start doing this. Uh, for me, the whole point of the education is just I just allowed myself to learn on a, on a different level. And I didn't I had passed up going to college when I was younger and I and I felt like I was missing that. It, I guess it helped me get a different type of, of focus a little bit later on in life. But um the you know with with sound engineering it's it's such an experience based field because you can learn anything you want about you know you can learn you can study compression okay audio compression you know it's, it's like let's study that let's talk about what it does why it does it what the modules do how the electricity works how does you know how does compression work it's like great you know everything about compression now use it and you can go out into the field and start using it. And, you, and all of a sudden, all those little thoughts are not going to, they're not going to register as anything because you have no experience to compare it against. So if, if you don't know what's happening and you haven't seen it a million times, you know, it's like, how do you learn, you know, how do you really get good at Pro Tools? Well, you got to sit with it for years. And, you know, how do you get good at audio engineering? So you do it for a long time, long time. You make time. a lot of mistakes. And you make a lot of mistakes. Mistakes are great. I, missed, I like mistakes. I like making mistakes. Well, I don't, I don't enjoy the product of it, but I, I like the process of learning from it. You, you know, my mistakes are much more subtle now, as anybody's will start to get. But you go, oh, okay, I messed that up there. You know, it's like you go back. That's why experience is so fantastic. It's the, mis- the mistakes you make are only become only things that you notice. And as you start to learn them and you start to learn your process of getting into those little corners that you find along the way, you learn how to avoid that in the future. Aside from technical mistakes, I always ask people on the show personal mistakes uh, with other people on the set, Mm -hmm. uh, business mistakes. What are some big ones that you've really made that you've learned from that you go, oh, not only is that not going to happen again, but, or 
you know, I, maybe it's a behavior thing. Maybe you behaved in a particular way that taught you a lesson. Anything like that come up that? Yeah. Um, um, you know, we're getting ready to shoot a scene. I wouldn't, you know, because the, I would get a better sound signal if the microphone was right in front of their face. But if it's in the frame, the camera is not going to be too happy about it. You know, your DP and your and your shooter are not going to be too happy with you because you're always getting the thing in the shot. So you always have to know where your limits are. I wouldn't turn off the lights for something or, you know, change a piece of our talent's clothing or do anything like that. So why would you... You would you would want everybody to respect your job in the same fashion. Having that said, sometimes nobody respects your job at all. So, especially with because sound is you know it, you know it's it's out of sight, out of mind. There's always stuff like that happening. We're we're trying to run a scene, and I can hear uh, hair and makeup and wardrobe talking fifty feet away, or I can hear. Uh, the grips banging their C stands around, or I, and I can hear, I can hear somebody's phone vibrating in their pocket, you know, on set in the middle of a scene where two actors are are whispering to each other, you know, in a very in something very intimate. I hear this, you know, in the background is just like, oh my god, you know, and I I wouldn't go and change somebody's wardrobe or dim the lights or get my stuff in the frame. So I would like to think that people would treat my department with the same respect, but that's just simply not always going to be the case. So so bring this around in mistakes. To bring this around, <laughs> I'm not getting too far off. So to bring this around to like where did I make those mistakes where in my attitude – was that I definitely would get pretty irritated when people weren't respecting, you know, my real estate. Speaking of invading the sonic real estate, <laughs> the dog. <laughs> Moto snore. Um, and I've, I've flown off the handle. It's just, you know, when you get to the point where I'm yelling on set and – and, you know, I've, I've heard, you know, I've had PAs come up to me and go, was that you yelling? And, you know, they were down the block. And, and I'm screaming at the entire set, you know, shut the fuck up. I need you all to shut the fuck up right now. And, you know, begin, you know, there's like five producers standing there and everybody's just, you know, blah, 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 phones going off. Or we're trying to do this thing. And it's like, it's funny because everybody will shut up. <laughs> it's just because they're stunned by the fact that I can yell that loud. It'll go for a second, and then it's just like you know, one of the somebody will eventually come up to me and go, "Are you okay?" <laughs> that was a little intense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, but my answer is like, look, I really needed that to happen right then and there. We're trying to move on. Blowing up in that fashion isn't helping you. It's actually not helping anybody because you know it's throwing the if it's a if it's a movie it's throwing the actors off yeah because now you got people who are trying to concentrate and now they're not concentrating on what they're doing with what was already going on they're they're you've now thrown people off and you've thrown your talent off and they're paying attention to you and now you you know that's that doesn't come with the you know you're not in the background you're not the point of least resistance how do you tell uh, you know the chattering wardrobe people over on the side to shut the fuck up without you, you got to get away. yeah you got to talk to uh you know you have your AD department. So you have your director and your first AD. Generally, I don't talk to the director unless I need something really, really specific and, or it's a really small crew and that's the only other person that's there. So 
if uh, if people are being chatty or I need the work to stop, you know, you talk, you go through the chain. There's definitely a, a chain of command. Wow. The first person you need to talk to is your first AD. Um, you got to go up to them and go, look, I, you know, I need this again, or I got, we got to stop the work. You know, this is everything sounding great. The only per, the only thing that's screwing us up right now is us. We're our own worst enemy. You know, it's like I know you guys have the option to do ADR, and for all those of you do don't know what ADR is, automated dialogue replacement is the process where you you know you strip away the the existing dialogue in a film that was recorded on location, then you re-replace it with you know a nice a nice oops a nice uh, sexy voluptuous version of that same thing. I, if if you have the possibility of that happening, that's great. But you don't want to use ADR unless you're going to use it all the time. Because that's an added expense things. to the budget of it's whatever the project really is. Really expensive. So when you're, I know I'm I'm getting into a lot of different areas. So like um, so like you're you're on a set. Say your budget is five hundred thousand dollars, and you have anywhere between you know. 18 to 25 crew members with all departments and you're changing, you know, you're going to a different location every other day. Uh, $350,000 to $500,000 is not a lot of money. Uh, Actually, you can burn through that real, real, real fast. And ADR is not an option, you know, and the director tells you that right off the bat. We don't have a lot of money for ADR. We can't do it. Which you you should at least have the option. So you want to keep as much of the actual production sound as possible. That that does happen. When you're the location sound guy, it's actually you're kind of the guy who's policing a lot of that. The director is not going to go out of his way to tell everybody to be quiet. The first AD uh, will help you facilitate getting people quiet. But it's better if you go through the chain and you talk to people. Because, you know, it's, you're going to get a lot more respect if you're cool and collected and you can allow certain things to happen um, and then come around and just try and fix them as you go as opposed to losing your cool and yelling at people. And I mean, what do you do in the event that the director says, great, fantastic take, and somebody's cell phone went off? Yeah. And um, the director didn't even notice. Yeah, they might did. not even notice. You know what? It, it could be like... Like, you know, like I'm talking to you, like if you're listening for any kind of noise, because you're always listening to the noise floor as you go, it's almost like you stop listening to dialogue and you're listening to the other stuff that's all around it. So right there in that little pause, say that's somebody's phone. It didn't happen on one of the one of the words I was using. You could say, well, somebody's phone went off, but it didn't land on somebody's dialogue. And if they got to move on, then, well, sometimes they just got to move on and you have to leave it to editing. But if they if it did land on somebody's words and you don't say that you didn't get it, then that's going to be on you. Wow, it's 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 very complex. The 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 culture of it, the ch- you know chain of command, the equipment, and the you know all of it. Just I'm thinking of it, and my head's starting to spin. I'm like, <laughs> oh my gosh, do I ever really want to get into that? I don't know. But you stay in it, and and it. You seem to have excelled, and your you, your equipment arsenal has grown. And it's I don't know. It's it's a living. It is. It's a weird existence. I have a really trippy job, as we all do. It's a strange job. But but you're part of your your ecosystem of the job is really it allow it's it's definitely got a lot of pros. You know, you got to be, you got to, um, if you're a family person, it's probably not the best job, would you say? 
Starting out, no. Um, but after, you know, and I think it takes about 10 years. A 10 years seems to be a good period to establish, to really get established. I mean, if you're going to continue on to 20 years, I think you got to get the first 10 years in. But um, once you're at that point, I, I think that, um, you, you know, you get to a certain plateau where it's like you have enough gear, you have enough income, everything kind of the dust has settled. You got enough stuff. You can always replace something. It's easier. It makes it much easier to work once you already have all the gear. And I know a couple of sound engineers who have, they've got a home with a family and they're doing very well. Do you think it's got a finite amount of time that you can do it? I mean, does it start to wear on you physically? Yeah. Uh, if you're bagging and when I, when I say bagging, I mean like, you know, you're like, we were talking about the compact, uh, size of a lot of the equipment. A lot of it fits into, you know, audio bags we have and you basically hang them on you with a harness or you, or if you have a strap attached to the bag hanging around your neck, that's generally how you're going to be going. So you know, how much over the shoulder bagging you're doing, it can start to wear you down. And I spent a year with, uh, with some back problems with some pretty, uh, with a fair amount of sciatica and, uh, about a year, year and a half. And it was brutal, man. It's, it's, that's, that's a rough condition. It's just not fun. And I know a lot of, a lot of sound professionals who've had to deal with exactly that same problem. And it's just, you know, you got to be careful of your stance and make sure you stretch and, because holding a boom pole. Right. You, you've you got 20 pounds of stuff hanging around your neck, and then you're holding a 5 to 10-pound apparatus over your head that's hanging 15 feet away from you while you create, you know, a fulcrum with your own body. So you have to be really mindful of that kind of stuff. You're going to be running around, uh, running and gunning. You know, there's there's the bags, you know, people having the bags around their necks, and the term running and gunning is... is associated with that when is it necessary that someone has a cart and uh, and what's you know is it just when you're in a more permanent location for a longer period of time like you're shooting in a house all day the difference between having a bag and having a cart is a decision you make before you get to the job you know and some of this about when you uh, when you take a job and you've asked your questions and you know you you ask what the style of production is going to be, how they're going to shoot things, that's the decision. Whether you're going to use a card or not depends on a couple of different things. Like, are you going to have a second person working with you? You know, are you going to have to wire, um, you know, four, five, six people as well as supply all the other things I talked about? You know, in regards to Comtex, uh, wireless wireless transmission to several departments. Um, and also, you know, if you have to wire cameras, you know, having one person with all that gear, it's just, it's just, it, it's too much because, and it's not so much that one person can't do it. It's that if, if anything goes wrong, one person can't fix something and then go back and still continue with the production. It's like you can do it, but if something goes wrong, you it, it falls apart pretty fast. It stops production. It stops production. So it's nice to have one person continuing with production with a second person uh, handling the troubleshooting and the fixing and Absolutely. the other stuff. What do you use to power? With my cart and with the bags, with the over-the-shoulder, 
um, we have what's called a, a BDS system or a, um, and BDS, I think it's a company that makes these little breakout boxes, but we have uh, larger rechargeable batteries with, with a DC distro that goes out to all the different modules. Most of the stuff you get, your recorder and your radio receivers all have DC inputs, 12 volt DC inputs. And, um, do you ever have like car batteries on? Yeah. Yeah. We have, uh, we have, we, we call them Pelican batteries because you take a, um, a sealed lead acid battery, like a car battery or a motorcycle battery, and you put it in a, a Pelican case and you, you, you make them yourself basically. So like uh, at the bottom of my cart, my cart, which is, uh, um, it's basically at the bottom, it sits a pe- one of these Pelicans. So it's a little square Pelican case. You put the battery in, you put a couple of four pin uh, power connectors, you wire them to the battery. Uh, you put a fuse in line in there. Um, you can attach a voltage meter to it. And then you just basically plug the four pin right up into your, into your power distro. And that thing will have a fuse on it as well. And you can just run your cart most of the day off of that, depending on how much stuff you have drawing off of it. You know, you make two, maybe three Pelican batteries. It takes a long time, even with a floating charger, a floating quick charger, it takes a while to recharge a Pelican battery. So otherwise we have the, um, the NP style lithium ion rechargeables that come in a big brick and those actually fit or small enough to fit inside your bag. So you can carry them along with you. Um, you know, depending on how you want to set that up, uh, a single battery can last you six hours. Uh, it can get you to lunch, basically. So you start at the beginning of the day, you power everything up, get all your radios tuned up, and that battery will get you all the way up to lunch sometimes or, or you know, to a main break. But as you start to learn more about lithiums, you start realizing what power range you want them to be in. So different guys do, you know, like I have, um, you know, like uh, I have the internals on my recorder, so I have, you know, two, three different ways to power things on my cart all the time. So no matter what happens, I'm always backed up, actually double backed up for power. So I have the internal batteries. I have the MP um, distribution inside the bag. And then I have the uh, the Pelican bat sitting below on my on my little cart. That doesn't take up too much space, but I can always, I, I like I can basically... Like when I leave the house in the morning, I never have to plug anything in. So like I can go pretty much all day, 12, 13, 14 hours without ever having to need, um, without ever having to actually need to plug into anything. So I guess you never really deal in ground hum. I I don't have anything that's AC anywhere near me or I'm ever plugged into anything directly that's AC. Where would I run into that? The, the only problem I have with... Uh, with grounding, uh, comes from, uh, can come from a separate, uh, phantom adapter. So if I'm surprised, if I'm supplying phantom power, sometimes I'll get a little bit of weird hum if I'm trying to power my boom from that, but that's about it. It also, uh, you know, getting into your, you know, to get into cables, but you want to make sure that all your, your cables are, uh, like all the cabling that you have inside of your bag and then the cables that go out to your hard lines, you want to make sure that all that stuff is shielded properly because there's lots of, uh, there's, there's power running around, there's power running around. There's, uh, you know, the generators are loud and noisy or, 
you know, you don't know how well that's going or there's always just cables all over the place. And, you know, before it gets to the light, sometimes that's not always shielded all that well. So, so the electricity and all that dirty power around can definitely spray right into your cables if you don't have everything shielded properly. And that just comes down to, uh, you know, that's part of your preparation process is making your own cables. Well, this, this has been good, man. This is eye-opening, I think, to a lot of people, especially uh, I think the majority of the listenership of Working Class Audio is a lot of music recording people and a lot of people who diversify by doing different kinds of audio and have thought about getting into location sound. So that was super educational. So I appreciate you coming on and, and talking about this stuff. Sure. All right. Well, there you have it. Mr. Dan Jasper schooling us on location sound recording. Very different from uh, working in a studio, wouldn't you say? I would. Very fascinating world, and I hope to get into it at some point. And uh, yeah, if there's other location sound folks out there that would like to come on the show, hey man, shoot us a message. Uh, you can send me an email to matt at workingclassaudio.com or listeners, if you have any suggestions, send it over. Let's talk about it. And obviously Facebook, you can always send me a message on Facebook, which by the way, holy moly, the likes are just growing. So are the Twitter Twitter followers. Amazing. Anyways, that's it. That concludes our show. As usual, be back next week with a fresh show. Thanks for listening and uh, take care. Hey, I know many of you are aware of this, but for those of you that aren't aware, Working Class Audio sponsors the forum over at gearspace.com called Audio Life. And quite simply put, it's a place where audio professionals can go to talk with other audio professionals about things other than audio gear, including life hacks, work-life balance, health and hearing loss. You know, if you want to talk with other audio professionals who can identify with what your lifestyle is like and how it relates to things going on in the world outside of audio, this is a great place to go and check out. So head on over to gearspace.com, check out Audio Life, many of the same topics that we discuss here on the show on gearspace.com. So check that out.